We've been taking a few minutes every, uh, the last several Sundays and talking about Moses and his call to service. I think it's so important that everyone learns that you're called to serve the Lord. Everybody. There is no well done, thou good and faithful spectator. No, everybody has a job to do. Everybody has something God wants you to do. You're saved to serve. If there wasn't a purpose after we got saved, he would just take us home. But there's something God wants us to do. And so many Christians fail to see it and to do it. I don't want to be in that group. God's given me something to do. God's given you something. It doesn't matter if you're old or young, if you're a man or a woman. And all through the Bible, we have illustrations of men and women that God has used. Men and women have always been God's method. I don't know why he would do that. Why would he give such responsibility in earthen vessels? I don't know. But certainly I would like for his investment in my life and your life to be worth it. Time is God's tool. Some of the things I don't understand is time. God looks at everything in one frame. We see what happened then, now, and we are waiting for what's going to happen yesterday. God can see it all in one frame. He knows better what's happened tomorrow than you can remember what's happening five minutes ago. He's got it all figured out. And he's a God of calculated orchestration. He puts things together where he wants it, when he wants it, and you and I are in that calculation. You don't have to do it. You can say, no, I don't want to be used by God. No, I got my own agenda. No, I have things I'm going to do. And I think sometimes God, stronger than his will, he allows our will to be stronger. He wants to use willing servants. When he built the temple, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, you'll see that those people who had a willing heart, they gave. God doesn't need our money. He says when someone gives, God loveth the cheerful giver. And don't give out of necessity or grudgingly because you're angry because you have to do it. God doesn't need our money. But he wants a willing heart. I find that when I have asked people to do things, if I sense they can't or they don't want to do it, I would just soon find the next person. It's okay. You're busy. You got something you got to do. And I'm not like God in that way, but I think sometimes God doesn't want to twist our arm to make us do something. He, he wants us to, to want to do it. Well, God worked in the life of Moses in wonderful ways. We find that he had some very, he was born under some very precarious days. Later, of course, he, was, uh, he, got, he got caught in that Pharaoh's decree to destroy all the young men. And by the way, the devil hasn't changed his decree. He is trying to destroy young men. He wants young men to be all about them, abusive, angry, addicted, Aloof, not even in the picture, not even engaged. And God is, wants to use young men. And the devil is still fighting, just like Pharaoh tried to destroy them. And Herod later on to get rid of Jesus. God is working our young men. And young man, if you're here today and you're listening, or you're raising a young man, or you are a young man, or you're an old man, realize that God has you and he wants to use you. But there's also a target upon you. We learned about the life and times of Robert Murillo, but so many life-changing decisions were made while he was young. The trajectory of his life and the trajectory of many servants of Christ are made when they're young. And there's a battle going on. 
Satan wants to get you addicted to pornography while God is pushing for purity. Satan will want to get you uh, caught up in things that don't matter while God is trying to pressure you to be an example to believers in word and conversation, charity and spirit and faith and purity. And when you're young, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that God gave you. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Lamentations remind us that we ought to bear our yoke in our youth. So many young people, they waste their, their teens and their 20s and their 30s. When they could be doing something, they get caught up in, in just the affairs of this life and not trying to please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. God's got a purpose for us. He had a purpose for Moses. Thank God he had parents who made a decision. They saw, they perceived that he was a goodly child. They protected him. They prepared an ark for him. They enlisted partners. His sister Miriam helped him in that process. In raising that little boy and getting that little boy to the right hands. And then we see they gave him to the providence of God. What had God wanted him to do? Of course, when time came, we find that God's providential care worked. But Moses made a premature declaration of who he was. He got 40 years old and he said, you know what? I am called to do this. And he asserted himself and got put on his ear real quick. The Bible says, he that exalted himself shall be abased. Sometimes God has to humble us because we're far too self-sufficient. And we're self-confident. We have to get that self-confidence knocked out of us to learn. Listen, anything that's ever done, the life and times of John Wilkerson or your life is going to be done by the grace of God. And on his timing. And so he began to spend a journey for 40 years on the backside of the wilderness watching sheep, something that was an abomination to Egyptians. You couldn't get much lower from the palace to a shepherd. Shepherds were abomination, and yet that's exactly what God called Moses to do, is to watch sheep. But in those years, he learned humility. He learned patience in God's timing. He learned shepherding people. He learned to be a husband. He learned to be a father. He learned to be a stranger in an uncomfortable land. God began to teach him a lot of things. He learned faith, trusting God. And now 40 years has gone by. In chapter 3, let's look at it together. Verse number 1, the Bible says, And Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. That's probably the backside of a wilderness area, and he came to the mountain of God, even into Horeb. I'm interested here, and just on this thought right quickly, I want you to notice, too, that he has had a lot of time by himself. Solitude has a strange way of teaching us lessons. We live in a day where noise is everywhere. Most of us, we do not even get our, we don't, we won't drive six blocks in our car without turning on a CD or a radio. We can't go anywhere without texting someone or calling someone. We get still. We got to, okay, who can I talk to? Who can I, what can I post? Everything we see, oh, I got to post that. I got I to communicate. Then someone will post back to me and they'll tell me they like it. And I can, I can feel good about myself for a few minutes. We're, 
crazy. And we just got to, con- we're just continually being by ourselves. We get real bored real fast. And yet we don't hardly want to think. Because when we get by ourselves, then we, all we have is just alone with our thoughts. Boy, solitary. I think Satan loves the noise he gives us. You keep us busy. You walk in the house, where's the remote control? Put on television. Even if we're not watching it, we want noise. To be by ourselves is not, oh, many of us, we struggle with that. Solitary time is what God gave Moses. And then he takes his sheep to the backside of the desert. I would imagine he took them there because there was no grazing areas on the front side of the desert. Wherever the backside is, I don't know. I have not spent one day watching sheep. I had two sheep, but then they ate some ragweed, and I found them in the morning dead. Uh, And so I wasn't a good shepherd. (laughs) Nonetheless, uh, he's on the backside now. He's on the backside of the desert. He's taking them. And by the way, I would just say to you, the ebb and flows of your life are things that God uses to take you to the Mount of God. God is trying to get a divine encounter with you, young man, and with me. He likes to get with us. And we've got a lot of things that keep that from happening. We can get caught up in drama and this thing and this thing and whatever's happening there. But the truth of the matter is, God's looking for a little rendezvous with you. And he used a lack in one place to get Moses to a place on the backside of a place called Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where he would just a few years later receive the Ten Commandments off the same mount. God's looking, and you know, some things that happen in our life, we don't have something we want, and we get all upset, and we spend time crying about that rather than going to where God has us for a purpose. God is using the ebbs and flows of your life and the, few, and the lonely days, the low days, when you don't understand, why do I have to be on the backside of the desert? Why would I have to be away from my wife, Moses, Zipporah, or away from my kids? Why do I have to be out here? Well, because there's grazing out here. Over there, there's nothing to do with the sheep. I can't do it. He caused a lack one place to get him to another place. And there, he spoke to him. Look at verse number two, would you please? The Bible says in verse number two, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of fire in the midst of the bush. And he looked and beheld, or behold, and and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. He looks over there, an angel of the Lord. And when you see the word angel of the Lord, oftentimes that's a Christophany in the Old Testament. Uh, In the Old Testament, you see the angel of the Lord. It oftentimes, and maybe every time, could be Jesus. Melchizedek was a type of Jesus that met with, with Abraham. When the three Hebrew children were in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar said, do we got to throw three guys or four guys? Because one of them, there's four guys in there. One looks like the... Son of God. We believe that possibly the Lord Jesus is here in this burning bush, and the bush is burning, but it's not burnt up. And that's interesting to me that uh, he is a time of solitary. He's by himself. He's at a place that he probably doesn't want to be, but has to be there because that's how the ebb of flows of life have brought him. Look, if you would please, at verse number three. The Bible says, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see the great sight. 
And notice the rest of the verse. Would you read it with me out loud, everyone? Why? He got curious. God now has got his attention. He's watching the sheep. Maybe they're nervous. They see a fire over here. He's probably got them calmed down. He's looking, what that fire is not even. It's burning, but it's not burned up. And so once he gets maybe the sheep set, he goes over and says, why is the bush burning, but it's not being consumed? Look at verse number four, would you please? The Bible says, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, he knew that he had gotten Moses' attention. When he saw that he now has looking at the bush, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. You know, it's like your mom saying your middle name. He gets his attention. You ever have someone call your name and you don't know how they know your name? It, it, boy, there's a lot of things going on in the back of your head when you do that. How do you know me? Who are you? And why are you calling my name? Could you imagine Zacchaeus sitting up in there dangling his little short legs off the little branch? And all of a sudden, look up. Everybody starts looking up. Hey, guys, how are you? <laughs> and then Zacchaeus. Oh, man, he not only sees me, he knows me. Well, here, out of a burning bush, he hears the voice of God. God has his attention. Now he speaks to him. He said, Moses, Moses. And thank God Moses responded with humility. And he said, that's me. Here am I. Respectfully and responsibly, he said, I, I know. I know who you are. And I'm here to listen to you. Look at the next verse, would you please? You got your Bibles? We're in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 5. And he said, draw not nigh hither. He said, don't come closer. But put off your feet, put off your shoes of all thy feet, and the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. He said, this is ground that I've sanctified. He said, don't come any closer, but start taking your shoes off. I don't know exactly all the reasons for that. One commentary said that because even this much of the sole of your feet is too much for you to stand on. Get totally humble before me. Humble yourself before me. Trust me. Acknowledge who I am. Take your shoes off. There's too much soil. on. If you've got even a little bit of pride, take it, out. Take it down to the bare feet. And acknowledge who I am. Take off your, your shoes. The place you're standing, you're talking to Jehovah. You're talking to God here. A couple things that come to my mind, I want to remind you about these things. First of all, is that, is that God uses the ebbs and flows of life to draw us to a divine encounter with him. God is using. You say, well, I don't know how that happened. God. I'm not sure why I lost that money. God, he may be working in that situation. Why did my parent die when I was young? God. There's beautiful people going through difficult times. They're listening to this message today. There are things they have more questions than answers. They don't understand why this is happening and why now and, and what am I supposed to do with this? Your problems are not about you, and they're not about me. They're about him. They're about what God is doing. God is working. And the ebbs and flows of your life are to try to bring you to an encounter with God himself. 
Number two, solitary, being in solitary has a unique way of making me sensitive to what God may be doing and what he might be saying. When you have a lot of noise of this world, oftentimes when you're caught up with stuff, you're just not listening to God. But boy, being quiet for a few moments and being in solitary, it makes me oftentimes a little bit more alert to what God might be saying or what he might be doing. Another thing that comes to my mind is that we ought to be curious to know God's attempts to get our attention. Now, he saw the burning bush, and the Bible says he turned aside to look and see, why does this happen? I think it's a good question. Whenever bad things happen to us, things we often ask, why me? Why are you making me go through this? How come I have to hurt so bad? Or why is this happening? Bad question. Unless you can handle the silence. But find out what God is trying to do. What is happening here? I think we need more curious servants of Christ. We need people who will ask the right questions. What is God trying to accomplish here? What, is he, what does he want from me? Not why is this happening to me, but what is the purpose? What is God working in? What's he trying to accomplish? Because God loves you. Listen, bad things that happen to us, we live in a sin-cursed world. Boy, God gets his share of blame. It's one thing I love about Job. In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God like an idiot. Foolishly. It's silly for us to say, why are you? We're the pot. He's the potter. We're the creation. He's the creator. Our God is in the heaven. He have done whatsoever you please. In Psalm 115, verse number 3, reminding us that God doesn't owe us anything. He's the boss. He does whatever he wants to do, and we need to take him off trial and try to accuse him of doing this or doing that. No. If anything ever bad happened to us, sin has been the, has been the, has been the core or the root of it. But grace, there's far more grace in God than there is sin in me and in you and in others. Moses is going to learn this. God draws him and gets an encounter with him. He tells him, listen, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. we got something to talk about. I love what he talks to him about. Look at the verse of Scripture, would you please? Verse number 6. Moreover, he said, he introduces himself to Moses. I am the God of thy father. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and of Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. It immediately humbled him and he put his head down and he made sure he wasn't looking that way when he found out who he was talking to and who was talking to him. Verse number seven, there's some words here. If you're in the habit of underlying things in your Bible, these are some words I think would be good for you to underline or highlight. And the Lord said, I have surely what? Seeing. What did he see? The afflictions of my people which are in Egypt. Once you notice another word, and I have what? Heard. That's another word to underline. He's seen, he's heard their cry. By reason of the taskmasters, and then, for I know their sorrows. Verse 8, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into the good land and a large into a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the PLO and the Hivites and the Jebusites. 
all the folks that lived right there. He said, look, what they have, that's what you're going to get. So he tells them, I'm ready to deliver them and to take them. In verse number 9, And now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed. And we read verse number 10, everyone, really. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee. It's interesting, there are several things that God says. Number one, he says, I, I've seen the affliction. He says, number two, I've heard their prayers, their cries. He says, number three, I know what's going on. And then he, and then he says, I will deliver them. And then he says, I'm going to send you Moses. I want you to just know this morning, I think it's the same God that spoke to Moses could say the same thing to you and I. God sees, he hears, and he knows. See, Pastor, I don't know. My problems are, no, no. He sees, all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. The ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. What you're going through, God sees it. What's gone on in your life, God sees it. Number two, he says, I've heard your cry. I've heard you. Call unto me when I will answer thee. We have an expectation. He'll hear it and he'll show us great and mighty things. That was a verse that Brother Murillo loved. He says, number one, I've seen it. I've heard it. And I know what's going on. And I'm going to deliver them. And then he says, I'm going to send you, Moses. Dear friends, some of you are an answer to someone else's cry. It wasn't Moses that was crying out. It was the people that were suffering in Egypt. But they needed someone to respond to his call. There are people all over our region that are crying. There are people all over the world who are crying. Who have cried out. They're under affliction. They're under loneliness. They're crying because the taskmasters of this world have just beaten them up tore them and robbed from them and spoiled them. God knows what's going on. And he has a deliverance plan. But that deliverance plan involves you and involves me. There may be someone here today, you are like that. You're not saved. You, you're, you're, you're without Christ. If you were to die today, you wouldn't go to heaven. It's not because you're, you, you, because of you're not religious or you're not... Uh, smart. No, but you've, you've not have Jesus. You need to accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You need to be delivered by the only one that can deliver, and that's Christ. Baptistry waters cannot wash away sin. Church membership can't wash away sin. Being a good person and stop doing some bad things, they won't cut it. You've got to have Jesus. He's the deliverer. And then to get the gospel to people, it takes someone who is a surrendered servant to do it. Now, I'd like to just say in closing, if God's calling your name, it's never too late to say yes. If there's anybody in the Bible who you would think, and then this guy's 80 years old now, it's too late. It's not too late to say yes to what God wants you to do. Some of you, God's called you, and you stepped up maybe even prematurely, and God's still calling, but you're still just fighting him off. You don't think he's got a plan for you. 
And it may be going, not necessarily around the world, across the street. But someone needs a deliverer. Someone needs to hear about Christ. Don't spend your life wasting time whenever God has an encounter with you. And your name may or may not be Moses. But whatever your name is, be sensitive to hear the voice of God and the call of God. Because it's not too late to do what God wants us to do. God sees. He knows. He hears. And he will deliver. And he says, I have sent thee, Moses, to do it.